I want to show you uh, a picture, see if anybody you know what, uh, what house, who, what family this house belongs to. Uh, there you go, right there. Does anyone know whose house this is? Anybody have any chance? You can say it out loud if you do, and I'll give you a high five. No, this is so great. Make your day. Uh, Jake told me about this, and um, you know the phrase, keeping up with the Joneses? Have you heard that? Most of you, no? You never heard that? Okay, so there's this phrase <laughs> called keeping up with the Joneses, which means you got to like do better than your neighbors. This is the Joneses, the actual Joneses houses. I think it was their summer house. And it um, kind of fallen in disrepair. It recently used to be worth millions, and uh, it recently auctioned for $120,000. Right? It's crazy. It, it uh, used to be worth millions, sat on 80 acres of waterfront property in New York. It's three stories, just under 8,000 square feet, nine bedrooms, five bathrooms. No, I need five bathrooms. Four fireplaces. And uh, this was the house that kind of started, started it all. This wealthy family, this was their summer home. They built this castle. And then all of the other surrounding wealthy neighbors thought, well, we can't be outdone by this Jones family. And so they would build a bigger house, and it would go back and forth. And, and um, I forget what year this is in, but... This house that kind of started this phrase has actually fallen in despair and just sold for 120000 Now, I was interested in like what some other houses that are famous are worth. Uh, anyone know what this house? Go to the next house. Anyone know that house? Uh, there's like one nerd in the room. Harry Potter. <laughs> <laughs> Affectionately, I call you that. I'm a nerd too. I'm a nerd too. I'm with you. It, it's, uh, I think it's listed for $620,000. I, think, I, think I don't know if it's sold for that. It's listed for that. Um, you, of course, if you don't know this next house, we're refusing communion to you today. The uh, Home Alone home. The Home Alone home. $2.4 million. Well, The story behind this house is every, every January, it, uh, the current owners want to sell it because all December, uh, they have people who uh, knock on their door and want to take a picture. Um, the next house, surely you know this house. The Brady Bunch, classic architecture. Uh, 3.5 million, and then the next this is my favorite one. You guys know this one, full house, the full house, four million dollars. Isn't that crazy? But the Joneses' house is only worth a cool 120, uh, almost the price of a Tesla these days. The the high-end one. So um, it's fascinating to me that the house that started that phrase, keeping up with the Joneses, proves the point that King Solomon is going to make today, which is that wealth is fleeting. I mean, and so uh, even, uh, and he made this point a long time ago. So I'd like for you to turn to Proverbs 23. Proverbs 23, because today's the 23rd. Whatever the date is, that's the chapter we're going to study. Um, Jake mentioned we're talking about money. We've got a special offering at the end. Totally kidding. <laughs> Just relax. Not after your wallet. Um, didn't even cross my mind when I was studying for this, to tell you the truth. So I want to uh, highlight three verses, and there are three verses that are like super simple, but beneath the surface, they run so counter to our American way. They run counter to the way that our economic system um, of consumerism and capitalism has been engineered, and, and they, uh, they run counter to what most of our desires are. And so while these verses aren't crazy... Um, like, they're not going to jump off the page to you. 
I think there's a lot of uh, health and healing and inside of these, and, and honestly, I think we all have, on some level, an opportunity to repent of um, maybe some really unseen desires and motives that we tend to pick up. So just we're going to do verses 4 and 5, and then we're going to jump to um, verses 23. Uh, the, the king says, Don't wear yourself out trying to get rich. Be wise enough to know when to quit. In the blink of an eye, wealth disappears. It's kind of the point of the Jones's house. For it will sprout wings and fly away like an eagle. Now that's kind of um, th- those verses there. He, he, he's proving this point. Hey, don't, don't, go, don't wear yourself out trying to get this thing that's just going to disappear. Okay? Instead, go to ver- verse 23. Here's what he says. He says, get truth and never sell it. Also get wisdom, discipline, and judgment. Um, you know, when I look at, when I turn on the TV and I look at the commercials, I, I don't see a whole lot of commercials uh, advertising truth or wisdom or discipline or good judgment. It's just not marketable. I don't think you can get that on Amazon, and uh, I don't think it comes with two-day free shipping. Now, here's a little bit about King Solomon. Um, if you wanted to, like, do a little bit of background here, you go to 1 Kings um, Chapter 3 and chapter 10 would give you some of this detail, but I'll, I'll just give it to you. In 1 Kings 3, specifically verse 9, we learn that kind of the Lord asked Solomon what he'd like. And instead of asking for wealth, I remember as a kid, you know, watching Aladdin and thinking, man, if I had a genie, what I'd ask it was a million dollars. That's what I remember as a kid thinking that. I think most of us have some sort of like, I would ask for this tangible thing that would make my life comfortable. Solomon doesn't ask for wealth. He asks for wisdom instead. And because of that, he was give, given both wisdom and wealth. It's often said that Solomon was the wisest person to walk the earth, maybe outside of Jesus. Um, but he's also considered the wealthiest to ever, like the number one, more than Bill Gates or Buffett or Jobs or whoever. Um, so here's some fascinating details. Just from what we know of First Kings, uh, Solomon had four streams of income. Okay, the first was trade and commerce. He had a lot of ships on the sea. There's a, a, a Jewish historian who wasn't a believer named Josephus, and Josephus tells us of kind of all the, the ships that, uh, and the trade that Solomon was involved with. He also, if he wasn't rich enough, he also received a lot of his wealth from gifts from other people. People would come to him asking for wisdom, and they'd want to hear his fortune cookie phrases. And uh, they'd give him a gift to make him richer. He would also get tributes, uh, not like the Hunger Games. It's a different type of tribute. Um, but they would be uh, other kingdoms as a way of recognizing that, that King Solomon was supreme. They would offer an offering kind of as a way of like bowing down to the alpha dog um, to make them richer. And then another, his other stream again was taxes. Like he taxed heavily, something we don't particularly like. Um, there's also some, an, another fifth thing that we don't know, but we would assume he probably got a pretty good inheritance from his dad, King David, which that alone probably would make him in, crazy wealthy. Um, we don't really know exactly how much he was worth, uh, but in 1 Kings 10, it, it tells us that just on gold, so you could go gold, silver, you could go precious jewelry, you could go clothing, donkeys, animals, land, real estate, um, businesses, 
just gold. So we're just going to pick out one of his assets. And what the scriptures tell us is that each year, King Solomon was brought 25 tons of gold each year. Based on the value of gold in that day um, and the weight and all this stuff, it's estimated that those 25 tons of gold that he received are, were worth in, the, in his day 1.1 billion with a B. So just from his gold that he received every year, over a billion dollars, he ruled Israel for 40 years. So just on that, on part of one stream of income, part of one currency that he had, he was at least worth $44 billion if he didn't you know, spend it. You get that. So this is how wealthy Solomon was. Um, one of the best things I've heard about the proportions of his wealth is, is, is like, this is how rich Solomon was, okay? Like, we like to brag um, about, like, the garden we planted. Like, look at this flower bed, or look at this vegetable garden. King Solomon would say, oh, I planted, like, six forests. That's how, that's, I, that's how we would compare. You know, we might say, we got this great bottle of wine. Solomon would say, oh, I own, like, ten vineyards that make that wine. Okay? We would go off on, like, we had this great birthday party, and it was amazing. We went to Top Golf. Or something, you know, or, or if we splurge, we have birthday week. Man, what an invention, okay? Solomon would say, my birthday parties lasted for a year, right? And, and so no, no matter what we try to say, like we've got Solomon exponentially, I mean, like I can barely take care of a garden, uh, like a, a couple of bushes, and Solomon had forests, okay? So, so this guy who had more wealth and more success than any of us could imagine, and no one would, no one, I've not come across anyone who says that there's someone wealthier than Solomon in the history of the world. Like, he is by far the single most wealthiest person. And that guy says, don't wear yourself out going after it, because it'll disappear, okay? Um, again, let's throw these verses, just these three verses back up here. No, knowing what you know about King Solomon and how wealthy he was, doesn't it strike you that he would tell us to not wear yourself out? This is his wisdom. Be wise enough to know when to quit. In the blink of an eye, all that wealth will disappear. Instead, get truth and never sell. Like you see, this guy who, had, who is worth billions and billions of billions of dollars says, truth is better. Wisdom is better. Discipline, good judgment, far better. Like, do you know any rich people that don't have good judgment? Like, they exist, okay? You can't buy, you can buy a Bentley, but you can't buy good judgment, okay? Now, Jesus talks in a similar fashion about wealth, but one of the words Jesus talks about when he talks about money is a fascinating word. Um, you might not know of it, you might, um, but it's called mammon. That's the Greek word, mammon, okay? And so we might use a lot of different words to describe money. Jesus would use this Greek word, mammon, and, and basically, what mammon means in the Greek is unfaithful wealth, okay? Just, it's, it's not loyal to you, it's not faithful, and just like Solomon said, it could sprout uh, wings and fly away. Jesus would talk about moth and rust and thieves, and just this, um, like we tend to put our trust in this thing, mammon, that's going to betray us at some point. Um, so that, that's kind of how Jesus speaks to me. I want to show you um, a couple of, or before I do that, um, unfaithful wealth. Uh, think Bitcoin. 
unfaithful wealth. You might say volatile, right? Um, think the dot-com collapse in the early 2000s. Think the banking in real estate in 2008. Anyone in the housing industry, real estate market in 2008? <laughs> you were, you could say, the unfavorable world. Uh, stock market. Um, anyone have any retirement in the stock market in 2008? How, like, right, caused you anxiety? <laughs> you say, yeah, yeah. Uh, Enron. Oh, my goodness. Oh, so um, I'll leave names out. But I've got a, a no guy who, uh, CPA, and, and graduated from... Uh, uh, college, and a bunch of his uh, schoolmates got hired by Enron, like literally walked off the graduation stage, was handed like a contract to go work at Enron, moved to Houston, and, and they worked at Enron their entire career, did the best thing, worked every day, put their retirement in Enron's retirement plan, which is based on their stocks, retired, was living the great, like had, this is what you do with the American dream. You go to college, you get a degree, you get a job, you work there for 30, 40 years, you retire, and then you play golf or whatever it is, like American Dream, okay? And then, and then Enron happened. And like completely, the, the company went away, which meant all their stock went away, which meant all the people's retirement that was based on the stock earnings went away. And all these people who did what the American Dream tells you to do had to come out of retirement and go find jobs in their 70s and in their 80s. Mammon is the word for that. Unfaithful wealth. Like you can do everything, you can live your life by the financial playbook and do all the things the financial advisors tell you to do. And at the end of the day, some bozo CEO can, you know, have a shredder and do all this stuff, and, you know, and you'd have to come out of retirement. And it's completely out of, your, out of your control. You did everything right, right? That's mammon, okay? Now, here, here's what Jesus says in, in Matthew 6, okay? And, and, and more than anything, we're not talking about, like, you shouldn't do that. Yeah, you should save, you should invest, you should have retirement. Don't mishear me. Uh, I, I want to speak to uh, our heart and, and, and the, the temptation we have to put our trust in this thing that will betray us, okay? Here, here's what Matthew says, Sermon on the Mount, classic. I'm sure you've heard it before. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Kind of like what Solomon is talking about. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And just on that line right there, Jesus is very interested in the, the peace that's in our heart. Okay? This is not about Jesus wants you to be poor, or Jesus doesn't want you to have a savings account. I mean, elsewhere, the the, the Proverbs will say, like, look at the ant and learn from the ant. Like, they, they save and stock up, okay? So um, the Bible doesn't condone, or the Bible doesn't speak against saving. That's not what we're talking about, okay? He just, he's talking about our heart here. The eye is the lamp of the body. Uh, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. We'll go on to, um, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one, despise the other. You cannot serve both God and Satan, or you can't serve both God and drugs, or you can't serve both God and pornography. Let's say that. It's you cannot serve both God and money. I remember reading this the first time as a kid thinking, that, I, that's weird. I thought he would say, like, you can't serve both God and, like, violence or something. Jesus knows our tendency 
is to put the almighty dollar above everything and to, and to worship it and to serve it and to go after it and to seek it and to put our trust in it and to believe the lie that if we just have enough of those Benjamins or whatever, uh, that's, that's like street slang for, for money, because you don't know, $100, I think, I don't know, I'm 35, I don't even know. I'm, I might say fleek in a moment and be so outdated, All right? Okay, good Lord, help me. I need a vacation. All right, so here's the uh, three enemies of your soul. This is great. This is like a side note. And I, I'm thinking about maybe doing a series on this. Here's the three enemies of your soul. The world, the flesh, and the devil. Okay? Those are your three enemies. At the most basic form, uh, there is the ways of the world. Okay? There is the ways of your flesh, like uh, your nature that is, a, that is apart from God. And then there's the forces of the kingdom of hell, right? Those three things, like you don't need a fourth, like those three pretty much do it all, all right? And when it comes to our, uh, our way of life, the first two, just specifically, and you could figure out the ways the third one plays in, but the ways of this world tell us through every message you see, whether that's a commercial or a billboard, or an advertisement, or a Facebook post, or like when you're checking your, 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 uh, your email, and there's like ads next to, you, next to your email, because they're, those bozos are reading your content, and, and they've figured out how to like advertise what you need. Crazy. Everything, the ways of this world, is engineered to tell you, you need more of something you, you already have. Or you need the thing you don't have. Everything. Have you ever, uh, this is crazy, uh, you ever been uh, talking to somebody about something and then you open up Instagram and there's an ad for the thing that you were just talking about? That's not proof enough to get off that stuff. Like, okay, listen, the ways of the world are constantly saying, oh, your iPhone is great. You need, you need the one with the S after it. Or, or you need the one with the bigger, be- or, or the, well, now we have a better camera. So you can take pictures without a flight. You know, like everything is an upgrade. Everything is an upgrade. Um, it, it's amazing. Like we upgrade our vacations. We upgrade our neighborhoods. We upgrade our schools our kids go to. We upgrade the phones we have, the plans that our phones are on. Um, our ca- um, you walk in the store the other day and there's a guy sitting. He's like, hey, who do you have for cable? And like his his so mission in life to get out of bed to try to get me to upgrade to their service. I'm like, I already have Spectrum. Like, I don't, like, you're wasting your time with me. Yeah. And you get the point. Is everything coming, just today, go home and try, try to count how many messages of you need this or you need to get more of this, okay? And then the flesh is like, you, we want peace and happiness and comfort and beauty. We want things that work. Like, we don't get happy when something breaks. Oh, finally, I have peace that broke. No, we want things that work and are beautiful and are amazing. And you put those two together, and we have this insatiable. I mean, our, our American economy is built on this lust for more. Okay? I, I remember even, I'm not an economist, so those of you who know the details, you might correct me on this. But I, the broad brush, I remember in 2008, uh, one of the last things... Um, uh, one of the last things uh, President Bush did before he left office was the stimulus package where we essentially borrowed, I think it was like a, I forgot how much money, it was a lot of money from China. 
and gave like every American, like, I don't know, it was like $1,500 or whatever. Every household got like a check. And so we could go out and buy more things that were probably made in China to stimulate the economy because people weren't buying things. That's like how our economy is manufactured, right? The ways of this world, the ways of our flesh are engineered for us to constantly chase that thing. Now here's the lie. Here's, I'm belaboring the point for this reason. Here's the dumb lie. We all, we all believe it. I believe it. I have whatever it is. Fill in the blank. It doesn't make me happy. And so the answer is to buy more of it. And that doesn't make me happy. So I need to buy more of it. And we get on this like crazy train of, well, the iPhone uh, 6 didn't make me happy. Maybe the iPhone 7 will make me happy. You know? and, and we do that on this like subconscious. We don't even think about it. But if you stop long enough to look in your heart on some level, I'm not saying if you have the latest iPhone, you're a sinner. That's what I'm saying, okay? Like, at some point, you know, it's, it's good not to charge your phone every 20 minutes. But what's the heart motivation behind it, okay? Let me move on. Luke 12, this is a fascinating, there's, a, there's like a, almost like a throwaway line in here that Jesus gave us in Luke 12. Jesus is preaching. If you study the context of Luke 12, it's fascinating. Um, I think Luke 11 is when Jesus gives the Lord's Prayer, and, and he's teaching. And then in the middle of uh, this teaching, he gets interrupted. And this is what, uh, we'll put this on the screen, this is what is interrupted in verse 13. Someone interrupts him while he's teaching, which I don't know if that's common day. I mean, if one of you right now were like, hey, what about, I'd be like, Tom, can you escort them out? <laughs> like, please don't interrupt while we're teaching. But they do this to Jesus. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, I want you to, I want you to see this. Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me, okay? Um, so he's saying, hey, Jesus, tell my brother this. But Jesus said to him, to the guy talking, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And then he said to them, both of them. So it's kind of fascinating to see the, how, um, how the conversation changed. And he says, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. And this is the throwaway phrase that, that we would do well to learn. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. You, I could probably give you a dozen examples of, of people who had everything we dream of and who are not happy or who have taken their life in the last year. For many other, and there might be reasons behind that. Mental illness could be a reason behind that. There could be lots of things. But, but isn't it, aren't we always shocked when we see someone of like high profile, like a Robin Williams, like a Kate Spade, or, or you know, you fill in the blank. We're like, they seem like they're happy and that they've got everything and yet we find out behind the scenes they're not happy. It's because of this. One's life, your life, your peace, your joy doesn't consist with how much you have of things. And then he told them a parable. This is a fascinating parable. He says, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. So he's thinking to himself. And then he says, and we would assume publicly, then he said out loud to the public, this is what I'm going to do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And then I will say to my soul, so this is fascinating. He goes from thinking to himself to talking to the public to then talking to his soul. 
See how deep down this is a soul question. I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the, th- and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Sometimes um, the rich get a bad rap. When we talk about money in church, sometimes we like, uh, we'll beat up those who are wealthy because we say, oh, you're materialistic or you're greedy or whatever. Uh, being rich is not a problem in the scriptures. It's the direction in which you're rich. Are you rich towards yourselves or are you rich towards God? I don't know that God's glorified when we're poor towards him. I think he's most glorified when we are rich towards him. Um, so much you can unpack there. But, but just I, I love that. Jesus saying, um, essentially, um, to be foolish is to lay up treasure for yourself. To be wise is to be rich in the direction of God, into the, the direction of heaven. He goes on to then turn to his disciples and, and help their heart a little bit. He's, in verse 22, he says, Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. Here's, again, for life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Just let that sink in. Your life, your existence, your peace, your joy is far more than food and clothing. Consider the ravens. He does a compare and contrast here. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, yet God feeds them. And of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? At times I struggle with anxiety, and, and part of the, the craziness of anxiety is like the more uh, anxiety breeds more anxiety. And uh, you start to get anxious, and then you start to get anxious about being anxious because you don't want to be more anxious, and you end up being more anxious, and it's like this crazy train. And, um, and what, uh, my experience with anxiety is it's never, it's never solved anything. But I can't, like I know that, but yet I still get anxious. It's crazy. And he just says that. Um, how, which of you, by being anxious, does it actually work out? If then you're not able to do a small thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, and he, he references the, uh, the king we're learning from, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. It's fascinating that um, Jesus talking about wealth and trust and being wise references Solomon here. But if, God clo- if, if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? For all the nations of the world seek after these things. And isn't that the truth? And your Father knows that you need them. So instead, seek his kingdom. And Matthew would say, seek first his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Uh, that, that is an incredible... Um, test right there. If you are anxious about any of this stuff, put God to the test and, and seek first his kingdom and see if the other things happen. Every time I've done that, it's worked. Now, the what, last three verses of, of this, this chapter, or this portion, I don't know if it's in the chapter or not. Uh, Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. 
Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail. For where, for where no thief approaches and no moth destroys, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Um, so some people have said, I think there's two ways to look at the treasure in the heart, is um, where you put your treasure, your heart tends to follow. Like where, where you put your wallet, your heart tends to, to follow. And then also where you put your heart, your wallet tends to follow. It kind of goes both ways. Um, but at the end of the day, um, your wallet and your heart will be in the same destination. I don't know if this means anything to you, but it's kind of funny that um, Jesus uses three uh, types of analogies here. The first is that of a shepherd. He calls them flock. And then of a family, um, your father. And then to a kingdom. So kind of, it's interesting how he goes from um, from sheep to children to the king. It's kind of, I don't know what that means. I just noticed it. It's great. So I want to throw up this last, let's throw up these Proverbs verses again. And I just want to read it uh, slowly. And um, I want to encourage you to, to be attentive to the, the prompting of the Holy Spirit and maybe hone in on one of the, one of the sentences that he wants you to, to think about this week. Don't wear yourself out trying to get rich. Be wise enough to know when to quit. In the blink of an eye, wealth disappears. For it will sprout wings and fly away like an eagle. Get the truth and never sell it. Also, get wisdom, discipline, and good judgment. throw up a couple of application questions in case you need uh, some starter questions to, um, to think about. Uh, one of my burdens as a teacher is I don't want to teach you what the Bible says. I want to teach you to do what the Bible says, okay? And so um, it would be a failure on my part for you to leave and go, oh, that was nice. I-, I want you to walk away with, like, like, what can you do after lunch today? Um, and so maybe these will help you get to that answer. The first thing is, is what are you seeking first? Okay? Are you seeking the kingdom of heaven first? Is that the primary thrust of your life? Whatever that means. That's a big, crazy statement. Um, or is everything in your life wrapped up into getting more of mammon? Are you on that, that crazy train? And if you are, just be honest about it and ask God to deliver you. He'll do it. He wants to deliver you from that. Second would be, are you wearing yourself out trying uh, to, uh, I wrote that wrong, sorry, to gain the, unfaith- the unfaithful wealth of this world? I was wearing myself out writing this, apparently. Um, like, like are, are you just weary from, from, like, are you working 80 hours a week? Is it in your control to not work 80 hours a week? I, I don't know. Um, but, but are you just worn out after chasing this stuff? Perhaps that could be a sign. And the third one is, where is your treasure and where is your heart? I mean, you could easily just look at your budget and look at some proportions and figure out, like, um, you know, where's the bulk of your, of your money going? And you might find, oh, man, that, oh, that, you know. I, I knew a young person who spent, like, over, uh, I think it was, like, 
uh, $1,600 a month going out to eat. And they were like 24, I think. I was like, bro, first of all, how do you get that much money just to go out to eat? And second, would you invite me and pay for it? Like, <laughs> uh, but that would, that, for, for, the, for this person, um, that crazy out of proportion part of their budget was a clue of where their heart was. Um, so where's your treasure? Where, where's your budget? Um, where's your treasure go when you're stressed? When you're bored? When you're tired? Where's your budget go? That might give you a clue of where your heart's gone. So I hope this is helpful to kind of uh, help think through some of this. I can tell by the nature of, um, of, of no laughter today that, uh, that this is, is hitting deep, and it should. This is, you can't serve both God and money. And uh, I'm, of course, preaching that myself before I'm preaching to you. So uh, my hope is that you'll take this seriously and really seek the Lord on where your treasure is. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks first and foremost for being a good father who gives to his children what they need. And forgive us of how often we don't believe the gospel. How often we believe the lie that if we just do this, if we perform or attain or achieve or accumulate whatever, that we'll be good. Where we just confess that lie in our our tendency to believe that lie. God, forgive us of the times where we don't believe that you're a good father and we try to take our provision into our own hands. Forgive us of the times where instead of living open-handedly dependent on you, um, we white-knuckle the deal and we try to manufacture it in our own strength. What are all the ways in which our heart goes to things other than you and your ways and your kingdom? God, we ask for your forgiveness, but more than that, we ask for your deliverance. Um, That those here listening would experience the gift of being set free from the tyranny of uh, materialism and and consumerism. Lord, bring us to a place where we truly believe that all of our provision is a a gift from you. For those who are living beyond their provision, Lord, help us to live beneath your provision in gratitude. More than anything, we just long to have hearts that trust you more than the almighty dollar. You are the almighty God, not cash, not stuff, not homes or neighborhoods or vacations. Finally, Lord, we we give you thanks that our identity and our security is not um, based on the amount of digits that our bank account shows. It is completely based on your love for us, that while we were still sinners, you bled and died and gave your life to us. Lord, we welcome you into this place. We welcome you into our hearts, into our minds. 
into our, our work, our hours, our financial strategies, into our wallets and purses. Lord, we know that you are not after our bank account. You are after our heart and our freedom. Help us to cooperate with you in that. It's in Jesus' name we pray.